Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Let's Talk Football podcast. I'm your host Billy Pelton. Today we have yet another game week roundup for all the fixtures that took place over the weekend. And it was a good one. There's lots to talk about. There's loads of talking points. So getting right into it, we'll start off with the early kickoff on Saturday between Aston Villa and Arsenal at Villa Park. With Villa just coming off the back of a very poor loss midweek against West Ham, a big bounce back was needed and we got off to the dream start. Bertrand Traore made the most of a communication error between the two Arsenal defenders as he ran round them both and played a perfectly weighted ball into Ollie Watkins, who of course was in the right position. And we needed that. We needed to get ahead right from the off and it was massively important because what followed was what I thought was a very mediocre performance really from Villa particularly in the first half. We did have chances through Traore when he tried to dink it over the keeper, but that was saved. And other than that, Arsenal had a lot of the ball and they kept possession very well, to be honest with you. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I thought that Arsenal did actually play very well this game. Um, But you can't take any credit away from this Villa side. Um, This game, last season, we would have lost. Um, I really do believe that. And the way that this Villa team performed in the second half and the spirit, fight and courage that those players showed is what's really pushed us up the table this season. And for me, the standout player has got to be Tyrone Mings. I've been a big critic of his for a while now and I've got to be totally honest, he was absolutely outstanding. He really showed some leadership and I mean, I know he does this often, but blocking shots, clearing balls... And particularly, he, was, he wasn't he was faffing about with it. It was no nonsense, clear the ball whenever he had it. And he was just an absolute rock. And I do like Mings, I really do. But I really, so I really hope that he can build on this performance and become the player that we saw when we first signed. Another standout was Emi Martinez and he pulled off some wonderful saves. 
But I could go on all day about how good that Villa defence is. And the stats are there to prove it, you know. That win against Arsenal was our 11th clean sheet of the season, which just shows you how much we've improved as a team. Anyways, I do try not to be biased sometimes, but sometimes I just can't help it, you know. Um, One thing I would say about Arsenal, though, is that any other day they could quite easily have put their shots away. And, I mean, the amount of shots and the way that they... The way that they created those chances, it was really encouraging for them. Moving into the first of the two 3pm kickoffs that happened on Saturday. And first we'll go over the game that took place at Turf Moor between Brighton and, of course, Burnley. Um, I'll be honest, with one of my most anticipated games of the weekend being played at the same time, I wasn't really paying too much attention to this game. As you may or may not know, the game between Burnley and Brighton did end up in a 1-1 draw. And Sean Dyche will be very disappointed with this side, actually. And how they came away with only one point, I'm not sure many people will know. Firstly, they gave away a very soft goal. Burnley are known for being very good at defending and scoring from set pieces. So to give away a goal from a corner and allowing Dunk to have a free header at it too, would be very disappointing for Burnley and Sean Dyche. But it wasn't all doom and gloom. Burnley pushed and finally got their goal just eight minutes after half-time though. Goodman threw Goodmanson, sorry. They did manage to get the ball in the back of the net again, but Chris Wood's header was just offside. Um, But if I'm being honest with you, I think a point was good for both teams. I mean, Burnley are now eight points adrift of that doomed bottom three. Brighton are also ten points off, so unless either of these teams just completely capitulate, I just can't see anyone but this current bottom three going down. Talking of teams eight points clear of the bottom three and Steve Bruce's Newcastle hosted a Southampton side coming off the back of that massive 9-0 defeat in midweek to Manchester United. And I had Miles in this game as one of the standouts for the weekend. Um, Southampton will, of course, they would have been wanting to have a massive bounce back after that massive defeat. And Newcastle will also have been wanting to make the most of that and pile on the misery. And after just 16 minutes, Joe Willock, Newcastle's deadline day signing, got the goal to break the deadlock. And just 10 minutes later, Miguel Almiron got the goal for the second. And then just four minutes later, the Saints looked like they'd got back in it through to Kumi Minamino. But with seconds to go just before the break, Ryan Bertrand got caught with the ball and the Paraguayan magician got his second of the game and his fourth of the season as he was just able to place it past McCarthy at the front post. The second half, though, was one of the craziest and most entertaining halves of football I've seen in a very long time. Firstly, James Ward-Prowse scored a 25-yard free kick straight past Darlow into the back of the net. Beautiful goal. And in the 49th minute, just a minute after that goal, Jeff Hendrick was sent off for a second bookable offence. So Southampton had free reign at the 10 men of Newcastle for 25 minutes before going down to nine men because of an injury on Fabian Schaar and they didn't have any subs left. So for the last 15 minutes, Newcastle were down to nine men and with Southampton constantly pushing How the score remained 3-2 in the favour of Newcastle, I'll never know. The Saints hit the post, goal line clearances. It's just a miracle how one of them didn't go in. 
Anyway, Stevie Bruce has done it again, somehow coming away with all three points and piling on that pressure down at St. Mary's. Getting into the later games now, though, and the first of which was the one of many London derbies, and this time it was between Fulham and West Ham United. And I'll be honest, it wasn't a great game, really, but there's only two words to describe this game, and they are Mike Dean. It just had to be the Mike Dean show again, didn't it? I mean, he just had to be in the headlines. Nothing really happened in this game, to be honest. Fulham had a few chances, but they weren't really clear-cut or anything. West Ham were poor, uh, didn't really create much. But then in the 97th minute, Mike Dean sent off Thomas Suchek for so-called serious foul play. I mean, that is what it goes down under when you send someone off for an incident like this. But in all seriousness, and everyone in the world of footballs know that knows that Suchek was literally just trying to get his arm out of the way. But while doing so, his elbow scrapes. I mean, it was so, so slight. He scrapes Mitrovic's nose and he gets sent off. Mike Dean was sent to the monitor to go and have another look and to have a look if he's made a clear and obvious error, which according to Mike Dean, he did. I mean, originally it wasn't, Mike Dean didn't deem it to be a red card. It thought it was just a coming together. But after having a look at the VAR monitor, he came to the conclusion that Thomas Suchek committed serious foul play and sent him off. I mean, it was a joke decision, which, I mean, as recording this, it has now been overturned. But red cards should not have to be rescinded and overturned. That's what VAR is for. VAR is there to stop these kinds of things happening. And luckily, I mean, luckily for West Ham, it was during the last action of the game. But it's just ridiculous as to why it was a red in the first place. VAR is here to stop clear and obvious errors. And that red card was a clear and obvious error. I mean, it's just so frustrating and... That free kick that he got sent off for, that free kick could have ended... He could have scored that goal to win the game for West Ham. You just don't know. But, I mean, it's just ridiculous as to why it was a red card. Anyways, let's have the VAR talk. We'll get into Saturday's final game of the day between Manchester United and Everton. And what a game this was as well, by the way. Just 25 minutes into the game, Edinson Cavani got the first goal of the afternoon... Before, just before half-time, sorry, Bruno Fernandes scored a beautiful goal to double United's lead. And to be fair, for all the criticism that I've given him over the past few weeks, this goal was absolutely beautiful. Saying that though, it was poor from Everton to give him so much time and space on the edge of the box, but take no credit away from the shot. But going into the break though, with United 2-0 up, you kind of felt like it was game over. But four minutes into the second half, Ducore got a goal back. And just three minutes after their first, James Rodriguez got Everton's second to level the game. Which I thought was fair. I thought it was very even game overall. And then Scott McTominay got another goal to put United into the lead again. And then you really thought that'd be it. I mean, the game just went on and on. But Everton just didn't give up. And in the 94th minute, they got their reward through the goal-scoring machine, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, as he equalised for Everton as the game ended three each. 
It's a great game to watch, and it's another example of what Carlo Ancelotti wants at Everton. He's got his team to have that never-give-up attitude, which is also important in the Premier League. And that could be a massive point for Everton come at the end of the season, and it leaves them in seventh place, just two points off Chelsea in fifth, and three points off rivals Liverpool in third. And with and with two games in hand as well, that and that Manchester Manchester Derby, sorry, that Merseyside Derby coming up in just a few weeks' time, it'll that'll be one to certainly keep your eye on for sure. Um, will Everton finally be able to beat Liverpool after ten whole years, or will that long wait of beating their rivals again continue? Moving on to Sunday now, and yet another great day of football was ahead, which started off with Sam Allardyce's trip to North London and with Harry Kane unexpectedly back so soon. This looked like it was a training match for Spurs. (laughs) They just made everything look so easy for them. How they didn't score in the first half, I'll never know, but it wasn't long into the second 45 when Spurs did manage to get their goal. And there's no surprises who got it. Harry Kane extended his goal tally to 13 for the season. And then just four minutes later, his partner in crime, Youngmin Son, also got his 13th goal of the season as Spurs ran out easy 2-0 winners. West Brom were able to put the ball in the back of the net against Spurs twice. But both goals were miles offside and, of course, didn't count. As I said a little bit earlier, I just can't see any of the current bottom three getting out of this position that they are all currently in. The next game of the day, though, was between Wolves and Leicester. And let's be honest here, no beating around the bush or anything. This was a fairly boring game. Uh, There were very few chances, to be fair, but nothing that was really clear cut or anything. And I don't know, it just kind of had a nil-nil written all over it. I think it was a good result for both teams, though. Leicester will probably feel like they could have come away with all three points, but the Molyneux isn't an easy place to go and pick up all three points. Because you just know that Wolves will give their all. And a point for Wolves against a side like Leicester, and certainly with how they've been playing in recent weeks, to be fair, that's a big result for Nuno. Um, They're now 14th, which doesn't sound great. There's no chance of them getting pulled into the relegation dogfight. But there's also a very slim chance of them getting into Europe. And that result, though, did give Leicester the opportunity to move up into second with a win, but still sat firmly in third place. I don't think they can be complaining too much. Next up was the marquee game of the weekend. Liverpool welcomed Manchester City to Anfield. And I tweeted this out just before the game, actually, but I was just hoping and praying that there would be a goal in this game. There's been so many of these overhyped, massive top of the table clashes that just have that have just ended in a nil-nil or some low-scoring, boring game of two teams just defending. But fortunately, this didn't happen this time round. It did get off to a very slow start, though. And it did seem like it was going to be one of those games, especially when Ilkay Gundogan skied a penalty, won by former Red Raheem Sterling. And going into the break at 0-0, it was looking more and more likely that it was just going to end that way. But who would have thought that you'd have had five goals in the second half? Because I certainly didn't. Four minutes into that second half, the first goal of the evening came when Gundogan made up for that penalty and tapped the ball home. Salah then gave the home side some kind of hope when he threw himself to the floor and VAR 
gave a penalty for someone touching his arm. Salah, though, of course, did score the penalty. And the goals just couldn't stop from for Man City after that. And with the help of Alisson, of course. After fumbling with the ball twice, Phil Foden was able to run in the box and play it across the box to Gundogan, who got his second of the game, putting City ahead for the second time. And two soon became three, just a couple of minutes later, when Sterling scored against his former side, sorry, and then wonder kid Phil Foden came up with a goal of his own to top off the evening and make it fourth City. And what a player! Phil Foden is. I really hope that Southgate plays both Foden and Grealish for England because I genuinely believe with that we could win it all. Right, with players like Rashford, Sterling, Sancho on that right-hand side with Grealish on the left, Foden down the middle and Kane up top, it would just outscore teams for fun. But I'll never forget though those people who were criticising Pep for the way that he was bringing Foden up for not letting him get game time out on loan, for not letting him get enough game time anyway at City. But just look at the player that Pep has turned him into, a real, real world-class talent. And I could not wait to see him at the Euros, hopefully alongside Grealish. But with Southgate, we all know that he's going to stick to his tried and tested five at the back, and it's just going to be boring football. But we've got that to look forward to, if you like, in the summer. The penultimate game of the weekend was between Sheffield United and Chelsea and with Tuchel trying to find his best 11, could Chris Wilder capitalise on that by getting a win here and upsetting the camp over in Chelsea? He wasn't far away in all fairness. The first half was very one-sided and Chelsea did get their deserved goal through Mason Mount and it seemed like it was going to be plain sailing for the Blues. In the second half, things changed. The Blades came out to play football, and that's exactly what they did. And they got their goal, albeit very fortunate, through Anthony Rudiger, passing it right into his own net. But just as Sheffield United looked to be back on level terms, just minutes later, Timo Werner was brought down in the box by Ramsdale, and for me, it was a certain penalty. Jorginho stepped up to take it and placed it perfectly home as the Blues took the lead yet again. This time, though, Chris Wilder and his men just weren't able to get their goal back and, of course, did lose the game, making it three wins on the bounce for Tuchel's side since his arrival in London. And that win also projects them into fifth place and in a very good position for these top four places. The final game of the weekend took place on Monday night as Leeds welcomed Crystal Palace to Ellen Road. And this Leeds side will have been out for revenge after the sides previously met Selhurst Park in early November when Palace went on to beat Marcelo Bielsa's side 4-1 that time round. And they certainly got that revenge that they were looking for. Jack Harrison got the first goal of the night just two minutes into the game. And after that, Leeds continued to push for another, coming close on several occasions. But they just couldn't get that second in the first half. But only a few minutes into the second half, Bamford did make it too. Rafinha, who had a great game by the way, but but I'll get into that in a minute. He had a shot saved, which was parried out straight into the path of Bamford, who just tapped it home. Um, That's how the game ended, though, and this Leeds side wiped the floor with this Palace side. And without Zaha as well, though, so a loss was kind of expected, but Leeds just completely swept the floor with them. And Rafinha, in particular, had a very fun time. 
what a game this bloke had, pulling off skills, getting into great positions, the lot. And he's another player who I'll certainly be keeping an eye on because he will be very entertaining to watch if he plays like he did in this game. But though Leeds have now moved up into 10th place, leaving Palace in 13th and also pushing Arsenal down to 11th. That's all from me today, though. Thank you all very much for listening. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at LTFootballPod. We're actually very close to hitting 500 followers on Twitter now, so any follows, likes, etc. are very much appreciated. Anyways, take it easy. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you back on Friday for yet another episode. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.